Many of you know that I volunteer with the Chamber of Commerce as an ambassador, which means I'm going to countless Chamber of Commerce events where you have to introduce yourself. And the American way of doing that is, what's your name? What do you do? You know, that kind of stuff. And it can get, it can get a little boring, to be honest, okay? And so I, I have a question that I like to ask. And a few years ago at a Chamber event, I was seated at a round table, and there was a man who clearly didn't want to be there. So he had a scowl on his face, his arms were crossed, and he just, he had the look. And I thought to myself, challenge accepted. <laughs> challenge accepted. And so I, I said, sir, sir, is there anything in your life that's happened to you in the last year that has put a smile on your face. Anything. I'll take anything. His arms uncross. He reaches into his suit coat pocket and he pulls out a picture. And by this point, he's now smiling ear to ear. And he says, oh yeah, I'm a grandfather. This guy right here, and I can't remember the kid's name, Brandon or something like that. This kid right here, boom, uh, and he starts to tell everyone at the table why being a grandparent is the best thing in the world. And then, as if that weren't enough, he got up from the table and then went to every other table at the event, proselytizing for grandparenthood <laughs> with a smile on his face, Okay. Asking the right questions, asking the right questions opens doors with people. Being genuinely curious about someone opens the door to meaningful conversation. Jesus, if you don't know this, was curious about people. And I'm going to tell you, he gets it honestly from his heavenly father. In the opening pages of the Bible in Genesis... We have an exchange that happens between God and the very first people who have done the one thing they weren't supposed to do. So God creates this garden. It's wonderful. They have everything they need. They're in perfect relationship with the God who made them. And God says, now, don't do this one thing. What do they do? They touch the boat. They did the one thing. They did the one thing. <laughs> okay. So that's Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and following. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from him among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asks. Have you eaten from the tree of the fruit that I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. And then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? Now you guys, many of you went to college, but if you're in this congregation, you're smarter than the average bear. So this congregation right now, this room is filled with some smart people. Let me ask you a question about the all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God. Did God know what Adam and Eve had done? Did God know exactly what had happened? And yet he asks them questions. 
He asks them questions. God could have showed up and just done a bunch of accusation. How dare you, right? Or God could have done what many of us parents do with toddlers. Did you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Don't lie to me. Yes or no? Yes or no? Did you eat from the tree? (laughs) We could have gone all parental anger with it. But God doesn't do any of that. God simply asks, what have you done? Okay? These questions are a loving way to connect with Adam and Eve after their rebellion, after their disobedience, after their distrust. They're an open door for Adam and Eve to realize what they've done and how it's changed the relationship. When God sends his one and only son, when God becomes enfleshed, when God becomes one of us in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, God asks a lot of questions. There are 307 questions recorded in the four gospels that come out of the mouth of Jesus. And many of these questions are how and why questions, okay? Um, If salt becomes tasteless, how will it become salty again? Why do you worry about clothes? By the way, people asked Jesus 183 questions. Do you know how many times Jesus directly answered them? Out of the 183, what would be your guess? What number? You're close. Three times. Out of 183 times people question Jesus, only three times does he give them a direct answer. Now, I know some of all y'all have a lot of questions about many things. And it's good and right that you go to God with your questions. But I just want to caution you. (laughs) If you are expecting something like this to play out. Oh, hey, heavenly host, gather around. Gary's got a question for us. Gary's got a question for me. Gary, state your question. Whoa. Okay, Gary, get a pen and paper right now. I want you to write this down. Here's the answer. If you're expecting that from God, you're going to be disappointed. (laughs) Okay? Apparently, God doesn't roll that way. So normally, at Generations, I teach from just one passage of the Bible. But because of the nature of today's big idea and topic, I'm going to be in a lot of passages. I'm going to read the scriptures to you. You don't need to flip around, but I want to give you a sense of the kind of God that God is that we see in Jesus and that Jesus asked a lot of questions even though he already knew the answer, okay? So first first of all, Jesus used questions to start a conversation, okay? Jesus used questions to start a conversation, Mark chapter 10, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see, okay? Jesus used questions to help people think through important issues, okay? Jesus used questions to help people think through important issues. Matthew 16, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Or Matthew 18. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 sheep on the hills and go out and search for the one that's lost? Think about this, guys. Right? Jesus used questions to help people evaluate their behavior. Matthew 7. 
Why are you so worried about the speck in your friend's eye when you got a log in your own? Why do you do that? <laughs> um, Matthew, uh, Luke chapter 6, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, and yet you don't do anything I say? What's that about? <laughs> um, Luke chapter 12, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what is the use about worrying over bigger stuff? Jesus used questions to help people evaluate their behavior. And then Jesus used questions to help people decide what they actually believe. So Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Oh, well, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked them, who do you say I am? Right? What do you think? What do you believe? Then, surrounded by the Pharisees, Matthew 22, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Mark chapter 10, Jesus answered them with a question. What did Moses say in the law about divorce? How do you read it? Okay. Jesus was kind and gracious, except with the self-righteous, except with the people who had everything figured out theologically. And those people found Jesus was prickly uh, and combative. But Jesus helped people think through what they believe and how they behave. And because I think God knows that we humans, we approach truth much quicker and much better through self-discovery than having someone say to us, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to know. If you have ever parented a teenager, you know this full well. <laughs> you can understand the passion that Solomon has in Proverbs. Oh, son of my youth, listen to me. I am spelling out life and death for you if you would only listen, but you don't. Because you've got to learn this the hard way. Okay, that's Proverbs right there at the beginning of Proverbs, okay? Um, Joseph Grenny and David Maxfield are known as the behavioral science guys. And when I read about this experiment they did several years ago about cigarettes and cigarette smoking, I laughed out loud. I was like, oh my goodness, this is people. This is people, okay? So they conducted this experiment in London, England, and then they did it in Paris, France, and New York, and... Uh, Calcutta, India, they did it in lots of different cultures, lots of different places. And what they did is they got two boys, a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old boy, and they sent them out in public to look for smokers. <sighs> now, the first run of the experiment, the boys were instructed to go up to the smoker and say to them, you know, sir, you know, ma'am, smoking's bad for you. Did you know that? Would you like some literature on how to quit smoking? Nine out of 10 people approached by the boys, sent them away, and had no interest in any kind of literature about quitting smoking. The second round of experiments involved using the same boys, and they were sent to go in public and look for smokers, only they were given a cigarette themselves. And they approached the smokers and said, can I have a light? In all of the experiments, not a single smoker offered those boys a light. In fact, 
most of the smokers began to lecture them about how smoking was bad for them and they shouldn't go down this road and it would be terrible if they started smoking. And the boys were instructed once that interchange began to ask one question. If you care so much about us, what about you? Then they were to ask if the person would be interested in literature about not smoking or non-smoking groups in the community. Nine out of ten of them were like, you know what? Yeah, I need to quit. Yes. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's something to this. There's something to this. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret about your pastor's preaching style, okay? I don't know if you know this, but Virtually every sermon leads to a couple of questions. Have you noticed that? Have you picked up on that yet? Shh, don't tell the new people. <laughs> okay? I could easily give you five principles of better parenting, three steps to prayer with God, and all this other stuff. But here's what I know. If I can get you to go out of those doors with a question that's rattling around in your brain and kicking around in your heart to where you're like, hmm, I don't know what I think about this. I don't want to think about what came out of Max's mouth. Like, <laughs> then I've done my job, okay? So in light of what we see in Jesus, in light of what we see in how God interacts with Adam and Eve in Genesis, in light of what we see now about what it means to be human, let me ask a couple of questions. And the first question is simply this. Can you recall a time when someone genuinely cared about your life? Can you recall a time when someone genuinely cared about your life? How did you know? I mean, right? You knew. Oh, man, they're really interested. Why? What was going on that cued you in on the fact that they really cared? How did that make you feel? And then secondly, what hinders us from being curious about others. What hinders us from being curious about others? I'll tell you a couple of, uh, one thing that's true about Americans is fear. Fear hinders curiosity. Um, in 2012, the first time I did a major teaching series on human sex and sexuality, I spent a year and a half sitting down with anybody in the greater Lexington area that was part of the LGBTQ population with a notepad and a series of questions. And I just asked questions and listened. And you know one of the strangest things that was said to me by more than one person? You're the first person from the church that's ever been curious. Huh, interesting, interesting. So what are some ways that we can take this home? Well, if, if you sell insurance, you've heard of this guy. I think his name is Scott Wells. I'm going to get it wrong. I'll say it right in a minute. Uh, Scott West. So Scott West cultivates out this natural path of curiosity. He calls it the natural order of curiosity. History, transitions, principles, and goals. And so if I can unpack this a little bit, when you're talking to people, when you're talking to people, it's a natural part. Where are you from? Where'd you come from, right? What did you like about living there? What have been your experiences with church and religion? Oh, <laughs> um, who influenced you the most 
in how you see or understand God. Why? All of a sudden, now you're getting somewhere with the kind of questions that you're asking. And then transitions. Where are you now? This is the kind of, what's going on in your life these days? What's going on in the marriage? What's going on with the kiddos? Dare I ask, what's going on at work? Oh, <laughs> okay. And then principles. How did you get here? So why'd you become a teacher? Why did you become an accountant? Why did you choose that? Um, who do you admire? Why? And then goals speaks to where you're going. If you had a million bucks, what would you do with it? If you had a billion bucks, B, 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 billion bucks, what would you do with it? Um, what do you hope unlocks for you over the next decade? And for people who are older, I find this question goes a long way. What do you regret the most? Looking back, what's one thing you wish you could do differently? They have it right on the tip of their tongue. Um, so that's one thing is these kinds of questions. Um, start asking open-ended questions. Hi, my name is Max. What's your name? I'm Brian. What do you do? Well, that went where? <laughs> right? So that's, that's an example of a closed yes or no question, okay? Um, one of the favorite questions that I like to ask people is, have you had any fun lately? Okay, have you had any fun lately? Another question that I'll ask people is, um, do you need anyone beat up in your life these days? Here's what I found when I asked that question. There's a certain group of people, they pause their facial expression changes, and then they will say to me, yes. <laughs> and more often than not, they follow it with a statement like this, but that won't help the, that won't help the situation, which then enables me to ask the follow-up, anything you want to talk about, right? So ask open-ended questions. If I could have one training that I took to church all across America, it would be to ch train church people never to ask, um, is this your first Sunday? Is this your first time? Because when you ask that, if you ask that question and then they're like, I've been here 15 years, then, then they leave and they deconstruct their faith and all this stuff happens, right? Okay, so the better question to ask about church is, how did you end up here? How did you, and if you put the emphasis, I mean, how did you end up here? That question, you're going to get a story, aren't you? <laughs> and story is where the real meat and potatoes comes out, okay? So start asking open-ended questions. Um, another thing to use is this phrase that really good therapists use. Tell me more. Tell me more. What was that like? How did you feel? What did you learn? And then sometimes you have to ask, well, what do you mean by, and they'll use the word friend. What do you mean by friend? What does a friend look like for you? How do you define that? Or you've talked about you're missing home a lot. What is home? Or uh, I've heard you say now twice, you're talking about your 24-year-old adult daughter, and you've said, I just want her to be happy. And clearly there's a lot of angst about the fact that she's not happy. I have a magic wand. Ding! She's now happy. What is that? What does that look like? And all of a sudden now, see, you're getting, you're getting to real stuff. Um, 
Another question to ask in our context is, who is Jesus and who is Jesus to you? I mean, that's, that's it on a stick right there. Who is Jesus? In 1982, you could ask people, are you saved? And they knew exactly what you meant by the question. Um, but 1982 is gone. <laughs> Reagan's gone. Michael Jackson's gone. Prince is gone. It's gone. Okay? It's gone. Um, it's a better to ask, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? By the way, the first four centuries of the church, all the major creedal affirmations are about who is Jesus. Getting that right apparently matters. I think in part because on the day of the Lord, on judgment day, Jesus is the one calling the shots. <laughs> so it's good to get the Jesus part right. Um, so who is Jesus? Um, if you don't know this about America, America is a telling culture. So you and I live in a telling culture, and telling cultures love to know the right answer. Telling cultures love to give advice. Telling cultures value being an expert. Uh, telling cultures value having it all together, having your life put together. But even in America, asking the right questions can open doors. Asking the right questions can open doors. Being curious can uncover people's stories. And that's where the meaningful connections take place. And it's also why Jesus asked so many questions. 